Welcome, friends, people for peace, pods of consciousness, planetary citizens, wherever you happen to be today, listening to Glocal News in Social Artistry. I'm your host, Dick Dalton. And as usual, we get to talk to someone in the world who is building a more humane world from the inside out. And today's guest is right on track. I have my friend, Brian Luke Seward, who signs off his emails as Luke. Hi, Luke. Hey, Dick. Good to see you. I believe I met you in 2001 at the National Wellness Conference. Is that uh, yeah. about right? We go back. We go way back. Yeah. You were there. Gene uh, Houston was there that week. Bob Keck was there that week. Yep. Some of those, they all kind of merged together as one conference. So all right. of them, but uh, yeah, some years are definitely most memorable. And that was definitely a great year. Gene Houston, I'm a big fan of it. You know, Bob Keck was a friend of mine and he lived not far from here. And it's kind of funny. I just thought of him the other day because I thought he's really looking down now saying, yep, we're, we're moving from the teenage years to the, the 20s, and uh, <laughs> we're in this transition. I thought he had this whole thing figured out. I bet he's just laughing right now. Well, Bob Keck was one of the breakout groups that I went to. Uh, he was talking about his three epochs right. and talking about his book, Sacred Eyes. And he had a lot of influence on me at that particular time. Uh, he and Gene Houston sort of did a, a tag team with me, and I was uh, <laughs> on my way to being a new person. <laughs> Can I tell you one of my funniest uh, favorite lines of hers? I heard her on a radio show here in Boulder, and um, we've spoken at several conferences, and the person said to her, <laughs> what are you going to do once you die? And I thought this was such a great answer. I thought, I want to do the same thing. And she goes, and she's got a good sense of humor. She goes, well, first I'm going into rehab, then I'm taking a vacation. <laughs> <laughs> beautiful she's uh she's been a gift as you have been as i understand it you had some of your academic beginnings teaching out in washington dc yeah actually uh i really began in graduate school in um 1978 uh at the university of illinois but when i went back to um to get my PhD at the University of Maryland, I taught there. And then of course, uh, I was in the faculty of the American University for five years in DC as well. So yeah, I've, I've spent a lot of time in DC. I was in your stress management workshop training at, uh, at the wellness conference one year. Right, uh -huh. yep, I remember, right. yeah. As I was uh, looking through health of the human spirit today, it seemed as though I was just drawn to the chapter on the nature of human spirituality. Can you talk a little bit about the human spirituality right now? Sure, yeah. yeah um, first, I gotta tell you how that book came to be. Oh, uh, good. Uh, the, the, <laughs> when I was writing my textbook, Managing Stress, in there there's a chapter on stress and spirituality, which at, at the time it came out in 1993 was very, very avant-garde. Um, so, uh, so I said to my publisher, uh, you know, I have an idea for another book. And he said, what's that? And I said, how about just doing a whole textbook on human spirituality? And I'll never forget what he said, Dick. He said, we don't publish books for the hell of it. <laughs> so, so that was a no. And then um, the Energy Stress came out and did very well. And it turned, this guy actually jumped ships, as happens a lot in the publishing world. He moved from one publisher to another. 
And one day, about maybe like about six years later, I forget the exact um, dates here, but I get a phone call and I'm getting ready to sit down in meditation. And the phone rings, and my first thought was, "Don't answer it." You know, you're about to meditate. No distractions. But this voice in the shoulder, in the shoulder said, "Get this one. This is the exception. Go ahead and get the, the phone." So I pick up the phone and and uh, <laughs> my uh, my uh, publisher from Nancy Stress calls up and he says, "Hi." He goes, "Um." Uh, it's been a while since we talked. I haven't talked to you in a while, and I want you to know I'm no longer with um, Jones and Bartlett. I'm now with another publisher. But he said, but um, you had an idea for a book, and I want to see if we can make that happen. And I said, the one that you're not going to publish for the hell of it? And he goes, yeah. He says, um, <laughs> how quickly can you get this done? And I said, well, I suppose in about six months max. He goes, I'm going to put you on a hold. I'll be right back. He goes, don't go away. So uh, he comes back on in about... 30 seconds and he says, okay, he goes, let's talk details. And I said, well, why did you put me on hold? He said, well, a woman had called me up from the University of Florida and she said, you're my last publisher. I've gone through 20 publishers. I'm looking for a textbook on human spirituality. She says, do you have one? He goes, as a matter of fact, we do. Let me just check and see where it is in production. Puts her on hold, says to me, can you finish this thing? And then when I said yes, he goes, we'll have it done in six months. So that's how the book came out. Wonderful and, uh, story. Isn't that great? Wonderful, yeah. Can you give us a little insight as to how you and your journey got so spiritual? Well, I would say that I've always been that way. Um, however, um, it goes something like this. Uh, I was raised by two abusive alcoholic parents. Mm -hmm. And to find solace from uh, the abuse and the torment, um, I would go outside. And my backyard was a forest that went miles and miles. So I would actually go out to have some quiet time and um, the trees were my friends. But I also realized that I had a very strong connection with something much bigger than myself. And of course, I was raised Catholic. So uh, we, can, we can get that, knock that one out of the picture right now. But um, as the joke goes, I'm recovering as I say now. Right. Uh, but um, but I, um, I realized that I was part of something much bigger and I was not alone. At, at that point there, you know, you feel very alone. Mm -hmm. uh, and I realized that I was not alone. And so um, that was, I, I would say, as I became aware of what was going on with my family, that presence was there too. And it got me through a lot of tough times. Um, uh, I didn't rely on the church so much as I relied on, I think, just a presence that said, we're here with you. And I also should tell you that I've had a lot of mystical experiences. Uh, one of my first ones was when I was a kid. Uh, I'll never forget this. It's pretty cool to tell. Um, I, we had about a half mile to a mile walk down the bus stop. And um, at one point you cross this stream and you cross this bridge. And um, I looked one day uh, and um, noticed that, uh, that the guardrails were knocked out. And I thought to myself, I wonder what happened. And it turns out the night before I had a dream that the person who lived across the street forgot to put their emergency brake on it and the car rolled back and knocked the guardrails out and went into the ditch. And as I look at the guardrails, I'm thinking to myself, this was hit by a car. And I thought, oh my God, this is like the dream I had last night. So I, I got to the bus stop and I said, does anyone know what happened to the, uh, the guardrails in the ditch? And this one gal says, yeah, my dad forgot to put the emergency brakes on and the car rolled down last night and <laughs> took it out. I had seen this whole thing before it happened. Right. Or maybe right. while it was happening, I don't know. And I, I thought to myself, if I were to say I knew about this, they'll blame me. And so I learned quickly not to talk about this stuff, but even though it was still happening. Mm -hmm. And I've had several other mystical experiences, as we call them now. Um, again, 
the curtain was pulled back to see there was more going on than meets the eye. Mm -hmm. And I just observed. One thing I'll tell you, as a child of, of abusive alcoholic parents, if you want to live to see tomorrow, you keep your mouth shut and mm -hmm. you sit back. But when you sit back, you observe. And I observed a lot. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and so when this curtain got pulled back that day, and I saw behind it, I thought, oh, okay, there's more going on that meets the eye here. And that was one of, of countless experiences where um, I was uh, made privy to the fact that we're not alone. We got lots of help. And this is an amazing experience of, of school to learn to love. Really, that's what it came down to was that this is all a school about moving from fear to love. What is so synchronistic about your answer is that my previous guest on this radio show, Jean Shinoda Bolin, described the very same kind of experience that people who are feeling alone or have a lot of time to themselves growing up often have more experiences of maybe not as mystical as you had, but nevertheless, uh, lean into that uh, spirituality. She's a beautiful, uh, beautiful luminary. And of course, you know, she's a Jungian analyst. And I learned about Carl Jung in high school and was immediately drawn to his, his philosophy, his, his take on life. And I remember the expression he had, he said, every crisis is a spiritual crisis. And I thought, okay, that makes sense of what I'm going through right now. And then I got a chance to actually meet Jean and hear her take on things. And, um, and I loved her book on synchronicity, which was actually a, a, a really good book for me to have at the time because I had so many significant moments going on in my life that um, uh, it's, it's great to be on the, the wake of her interview. Speaking of Jung, in this same chapter on uh, spirituality, you, for some reason, say, uh, what is stress? And I thought, why is he asking that question and then answering it in the chapter on spirituality? And you just answered it, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jung had answered it for you. He did, yeah. And um, I think he was, um, I, I won't say he's a spirit guy, but he definitely has a great presence in my life in terms of uh, sharing wisdom. And of course, as we all know, with his work, when you tap into the collective unconscious, you're tapping into that body of wisdom and you know, that's right for the picking. So, um, so yeah, so uh, definitely a great influence. And also Joseph Campbell. I mean, one of the book, first books I ever read on Young, because he's so hard to read, was um, The Pocket uh, the Portable Young by Joseph Campbell. Right. And of course, we all know Joseph Campbell uh, with the work that Heroes Journey and the Power of Myth. But um, a lot of dots were connecting in my life going through that. I look back on who's been my influences and um, it's been great. And I got to tell you a quick story. I never got a chance to meet Carl Young because he passed away before I knew who he was, obviously. Mm -hmm. I think he died in 61 or 63. And by that time, I was like, you know, like seven or eight years old clueless but still trying to figure out the world well um i was invited to speak at the nobody sciences conference um back about i don't know 20 years ago maybe uh and they had a dinner party the night before which i was also invited to and um uh, lawrence vanderpost was one of the guest speakers there and lawrence vanderpost was carl Jung's best friend one of his students but his best friend and i didn't know that when i got a chance to meet him and shake his hand it was it wasn't touching the robe, but it was that making that, that connection, that lineage, if you will, to Carl. So I had the, not just the spiritual connection, but the physical one as well, which is pretty cool. And isn't Vanderpost the one who was so connected with the Kalahari Desert uh, yes. people? 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And amazing stories with his works there too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. At a Jean Houston uh, mystery school, in one of her exercises of going back in time to find yourself possibly, mm -hmm. uh, at 10,000 years ago, I finally had an experience mm -hmm. and I became a Kalahari woman nursing my son. And uh, that lasted just a little bit. And then I drew him from my breast and held him up and uh, offered him to the future with the dreams of my people. Wow. Wow. I love it. I then learned about Vanderpost and I, I hadn't been introduced to him until I had that experience and uh, got a hold of uh, a book of his. And so, yeah, I didn't know his connection with Joseph Campbell. Uh, Carl Jung. He was Carl Jung. I mean, Carl Jung. Right. Yeah. We're, we're connecting lots of dots here. Uh, we are. For all I know, they're probably best friends, too. Who knows? <laughs> I did meet a lot of people in the course of my career, which is still going on, by the way. It's not done, hopefully, um, who actually were good friends with Joseph Campbell. So that was pretty cool, too. And mm -hmm. you want to hear a cool story? Because um, at some point, we're going to get off on this. I'm not sure how, how much you want to delve into it. But um, so I'm doing a radio show out in Hawaii for uh, the book Stand Like Mountain. And this woman who's interviewing me asked a question. And of course, I brought up Campbell. And she said, we're going to take a break right now. And she goes, well, can we be back? Uh, join us in, in 30 seconds. And she says to me, what are you doing for lunch tomorrow? And I said, um, well, nothing. And she goes, let's meet for lunch. She goes, because we were doing this by phone. She says, I want to talk to you because I got something I got to tell you. She goes, spirit, tell me to show this with you. So we met for lunch the next day. And she said, um, you allude in your book to other life forms aside from planet earth. And she said, Joseph Campbell also did this. She goes, I'm very good friends with his wife. And she said, do you know that when he went around the world collecting stories as a, a cultural mythologist, he was told repeatedly and saw symbols and signs, all kinds of stuff that, that other cultures from the African culture to the, the clinket up in Alaska, um, to know that we are in what we're going to call what he called a, uh, a galactic family. We're not alone on this planet. We're not alone in the cosmos. But he never came out and said that because he didn't have a PhD. And he thought without a PhD, he doesn't have a credibility because with just a master's degree, just, he thought that um, he would not, he'd lose his credibility. So he could never talk about it. But his wife said after he died, I wish that he had because this is, such an important piece of the puzzle that no one's going to know about. Mm -hmm. So when she said this to me, I said, I'll, I'll share it. <laughs> cool. Pretty well, cool. Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> yeah, really. And now the, the world knows about it. I'm sure you've shared it many times. I have, you know, I just saw something yesterday on, on the social media that the Pentagon has released some, um, some uh, things about uh, uh, UFOs and some of the dialogue from the, uh, the pilots who were saying, what was that? You know, they're in these, these uh, fighter pilots uh, in these jets and they're seeing things flying faster than they can, which was, we apparently had the high, the fastest technology. So, so yes, we, we're about to find out that indeed um, we're part of a family. We're, we're, we've been alone in the sandbox for quite some time, but we're about to find out that uh, we've got other uh, siblings and, um, and I think it's going to be a beautiful thing, but that's also the idea that um, everything's, we're the illusion, if we can kind of go metaphysical here for a second, that the, the, the biggest, um, how do I call this? I don't want to say lie, but it is a lie, that we're all separate. 
and, <laughs> and the illusion is that we're separate, but the reality is we're all connected. We now know through quantum physics, you know, and in this book, The Health of the Human Spirit, you know, I tell a perspective of this mountain of spirituality from Carl Jung's perspective, from Ken Wilber's perspective, from, but I thought, I got to put an Einstein's perspective because he saw everything as energy. He saw everything as connected. Oh, and yeah, I got to tell you this too. This is pretty exciting. Um, someone gave me this book. They were actually packing up their house and downsizing. And they gave me this series of books, Time Life. And, and in there was a story where Carl Jung had lunch with Albert Einstein. And I sensed that something was going on between those two, but I never knew until I came across this book. Well, it turns out that they did have lunch and they both spoke German. So we can assume nothing was lost in translation, but that conversation through Seward's interpretation went something like this. Carl says to Albert, Albert, congratulations on the Nobel prize. This is great that you won this, but I don't understand a thing about relativity. Could you explain to me in simple terms? And, and Albert says, well, Carl, in simple terms, and you know, Einstein said, if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it. So I'm glad he did understand his own theory. He said, everything's energy. Everything's energy. He said, and if you were to go the speed of light or faster, time and space play by different rules. We're very limited with how we can perceive reality here. He said, but when you go faster than light, everything's light and time and space play by different rules. And Carl said, that's the same thing that happens in the dream state. Time and space play by different rules. And what, was, what came from this article was that Einstein's theory of relativity had the inspiration to Jung to come up with the idea of the collective unconscious. Wow. Isn't that amazing? And that explains your dream. It does. Were you familiar uh, with the disclosure project that was going on in Washington, D.C. Uh, the last couple of years where they had all of these pilots and all these people that had experiences with UFOs come and give their story and it was all recorded? I lived in D.C. before all that happened. And, um, you know, I, I call this the trail of the cosmic breadcrumbs. Things seem to come at me. Sometimes a whole loaf of bread would hit me in the head. I got to a point where I said, okay, enough is enough. I got, I got to process some of this stuff. But I, through my experience, learned a lot about this before it was ever made public because of living in D.C. And, and I'm going to say my spirit guides who directed people into my life and how my life unfolded and continues to unfold. Um, a lot of this stuff was made known to me uh, in various surprising ways. Um, I'll never forget one time I was invited to lunch at uh, this place in Virginia, just outside D.C., and the guy said to me, listen, we can't talk here. And I looked around, and the whole place is like packed with military people. He said, we got to go into uh, outside. So we walked out, and it was raining, so we went into my car, and it was like a scene from some, some, some uh, movie, like I forget, you know, who writes these things, like, you know, uh, September, Red September, Red October, whatever. But so we're in the car, the car is steaming up, and he said to me, very likely our conversation was being bugged in there. I couldn't tell you what I need to tell you. He goes, I think it's safe in here. He goes, but whatever I tell you now, you can't tell anybody. He goes, or you're going to end up like Kennedy. And that kind of scared me a little bit. And, and since then, everything he told me has come to pass. This guy was definitely in the know. And I thought to myself, okay, I've never told anybody about that conversation. I've been privy to some amazing information, but yet he unfolded all kinds of stuff that has since all come to pass. And 
that's why I say you know, we're, we're in some very exciting times right now. Um, there's still some fear about a lot of this stuff. And, and I'll give you one more example. Um, you know, I come back out here to Colorado and a woman who's a dear friend of mine, her name is Linda Bartlett. She worked with uh, a school teacher. She worked with a guy from Ball Aerospace and she had him come to teach in his, her class. She taught in middle school and um, they became friends and they would talk about all kinds of stuff. And apparently he was asked to MC a conference in DC before the disclosure project, I might add, where they were going to disclose all of this and they decided, how are we gonna get the word out? They thought the best thing to do is to speak to the clergy. Well, the, the, um, the, the priests, the rabbis, the, um, you name it, from all the different uh, branches of the religions. So they, they set a date for this conference. It was a two-day conference. And this guy from Ball Aerospace was the, uh, for lack of a better word, the MC of this. And they were going to bring in all kinds of government officials and tell these, this audience what, what they knew at this time. Hmm. Within an hour, the room was empty. And they thought, if we can't share this with the people religious, because when they, we make this public, people are going to go to their, their leaders and say, What's, how does this fit in with the bigger paradigm of life? When the room was empty, they realized they couldn't go public because they said the, the world wasn't ready to hear this. Mm-hmm. That was about 25 years ago, and I'm, I'm convinced the world's more ready now. Uh, but um, I really was glad to hear that Stephen Greer, who was part of that disclosure project, mm-hmm. uh, really got that off the ground. And I wish it had gotten more visibility. It was great that the, uh, mm-hmm. the press club in D.C. actually was part of that. Um, but um, there's, still, um, there's still some fear with it all. So mm-hmm. we, uh, we have to kind of bide our time. But, but things are happening. As, I, as it was explained to me, the water has broken. We're in contraction. <laughs> the birthing is happening. <laughs> I learned of it from a, a local friend here named Bill Wickersham, who also used to work in D.C. And uh, Bill had conversations in a car just like you did. Probably with the same guy. <laughs> <laughs> it might have been the same guy. And uh, um, so um, there are other folks that have been clued in to this uh, and Bill writes a letter to the editor about it or open, uh, open letters in our local newspaper. So uh, he doesn't get a lot of, oh boy, <laughs> you know, I, I'm not sure how ready folks are. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I live in Boulder, so it's a different culture out here. You These do. People, they, they put out their flashlights on an early basis trying to see if they can get the, the spaceships to land here. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah, I think there's right. pockets. But I, I will tell you this, that it will definitely – reshape our paradigm of reality when we realize that we are not alone because we've been under this illusion that you know we're the only source of intelligent life in the cosmos which to me is kind of an arrogant thing to think about but um but that also will uh force us to rethink what um what our perceptions are of of god god's mm-hmm. self right you know, i love the quote from um buckmaster fuller when he was asked about god he said i think we should use the term verb, not noun. <laughs> cool. Well, I liked uh, uh, Carl Jung's uh, answer about God. And uh, I believe he said something like, well, everybody has their own reality about what God is. And, and we're all wrong. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're all, they're all inaccurate, I guess maybe he said instead of wrong. Uh, 
you know, he was interviewed by this guy, I think uh, uh, someone Freeman on the BBC before he passed away. And uh, it's a great interview. It was very inspiring for me to watch. And, and he turns to Carl and he says, do you believe in God? And Carl says, no. And my heart sank for a second. I'm like, Carl, how can you say that? And he says, I know. And I'm like, oh, of course that's the answer. Right. Belief is one thing. Knowledge is something else. And when that curtain's been pulled back and you see beyond the, the reality that we have here, no one can take that experience away from you. When you have mystical experiences, and, and by the way, Oprah, um, who's done a lot to try and further the cause too, she put out a questionnaire to, I don't know how many thousands of people saying, you know, have you had a mystical experience? And 80% of the population came back who she interviewed and said, yes. And she said, I think the other 20% are lying. <laughs> <laughs> very, very well said. Uh, yeah, just right on. I had a student that uh, in, enlightened me a bit, or at least uh, gave me a different perspective. He said, uh, said Dr. Dalton, have you, have you read uh, Slave Species of the Gods? I said, no, no. Well, he gave me a copy of it, oh, yeah? and uh, I was the kind of teacher that said, okay, hey, I need to read this, and it uh, shifted my, this whole idea that, like you said, it'll change our perception of God. It, it shifted uh, the way I looked at, uh, I, I mean, I'd been a minister for 25 years, and I had to relook at verse after verse after verse of scripture. Uh, text that I had uh, studied those years and, and look at it just a little differently. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're all going to be going through that. I mean, that's the ultimate paradigm shift. And, um, but you know, that's what Joseph Campbell talked about in the idea of the hero's journey that we have to face our own death. In this case here, that's part of the peeling back the layers of the onion and then rebuild ourselves. And so um, I don't see this as a bad thing at all. I think it's very, very good. Um, and it's, it's, um, it's an adventure. It's, it's a journey as it, it comes down to it. But um, there's a progression. And I think that obviously the powers that be 25 years ago who thought we weren't ready did that out of the best interest. I don't think it was a nefarious uh, means to, to hold things back. Right. Um, and there's a progression. I mean, you can't tell a, uh, a four-year-old there's no Santa Claus. You know, you let them figure it out for themselves. And so, but you kind of like get them to a point where they can make that decision on their own and, and piece things together. So, um, so, you know, going back to, to uh, Bob Keck's idea that, you know, we're, in a, we're shifting epochs now to a place where we're, we're more mature. I use that word loosely. <laughs> uh, but we're about ready to come out of the sandbox and find out that, you know, we've got siblings. I got to tell you a funny story, Dick. Um, my sister um, married this guy um, from Canada. And uh, uh, his um, sister passed away. So I guess my sister, sister-in-law, I guess maybe my sister-in-law too. I'm not sure of all the relations. But anyway, <laughs> while she's at the hospital, this woman um, comes into the hospital, goes to a room and says, um, you're my sister. And the long and short of it is that with all this uh, 21 and me and, and uh, Ancestry.com, people are figuring out all kinds of things about their genetics, which they didn't know or had privy to beforehand. And it turns out that... Um, my brother-in-law's parents uh, had a baby before they got married and gave it up for adoption and didn't tell anybody. They agreed not to tell anybody. <laughs> and so, so then this girl, 35 years later, 40 years later, goes for a 23andMe test and finds out that she's got connections 
that she had no idea because she, she knew she was adopted, but she, that's about all she knew. So, so Dwayne finds out, he thinks for 40, 50 years, he's the oldest in the family, the oldest son. And he goes, I just found out I'm a middle child. <laughs> he goes, it really whacks my thinking. So I was thinking to myself, yeah, that's about how it's going to be when we find out that we're not the only kid in the neighborhood. You know, we're, we've got, we've got, other relatives and stuff and you know i don't use the term alien um i'm not sure what the best term to use is some people use the term uh space family or galactic family i mean that's probably how we can best describe it but we're about to have the curtain pulled back and what i'm sensing when i talked about the the water broke and the, the pains are beginning here um we're in a very exciting time right now uh, jean houston mentioned this she, she said she goes other people thought it was when they were alive she goes they right. are wrong it's now it's going on now. Jump so, time. Yeah, jump time for sure. Yeah. So we're we're um, in a very exciting time period. I think this coronavirus is part of that, if you will. I, I don't quite know all the pieces, but I don't have to know them. But we're at a point where um, uh, some some interesting things are developing, are happening, and it's shifting consciousness. And the big shift, if I could be so blunt, is to say from fear to love. That's the big shift. Mm -hmm. um, there are people like, uh, I'm not sure if you're aware of this woman named Dolores Cannon. She, uh, she passed away about two years ago, but she did a lot of work with quantum hypnosis. And mm -hmm. like Carl Jung, she was aware that there was more going on than meets the eye. She would take people through hypnosis to um, talk to their higher self. And of course, like Brian Weiss's book, um, uh, Many Lives, Many Masters, she too would get information coming through people who were in a hypnotic state that there's no way they could have known this stuff. Mm -hmm. And so she began to, to gather this information together. And what has come about as a result of this is the term a new earth, that we're about to enter a new earth. And this is part of the process. You know, earth is a school. Uh, it's, some people say it's a pretty tough school where we're here to learn to love. And um, I think when I wrote Stand Like Mountain years ago, um, it was basically... Um, an inspiration from the textbook because what I did was I took the chapter on, on um, stress and spirituality and kind of added some to it for, for mm -hmm. a, a trade book, layman's terms. Mm -hmm. And um, my, my inspiration has been to help share the idea that um, we're in this shift and uh, I feel like I got a foot in both worlds. Sometimes you feel like you got one foot on the dock, one foot in the canoe. You don't want to fall in. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, but these are very exciting times, and I see it all good. Now, you know, go back to Joe Sakima for a second. Um, I got a chance to hear him speak to, I think, um, if it was Bill Moyers or somebody else, said, mm -hmm. Joseph, um, is humanity on a hero's journey like the individual person is? And Joseph Campbell said, oh, most certainly. And Bill Moyers said, are we going to make it? <laughs> and Joseph Campbell said, we got some bumps in the road, but I know how the story ends. Oh, isn't that wow. a great line? <laughs> I'll take that as an optimistic uh, view. <laughs> yes, me too. Me too. <laughs> what was Dolores's last name? Cause I don't know her. Uh, Cannon. C-A-N-O-N. Oh, it's okay. Two. Dolores Cannon. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very good. You, um, just on practical or technical terms, not only do you author books and teach stress management trainings, uh, probably still, do you, you still do that, right? People come out to Spirit Mountain or somewhere where you are and 
<laughs> um, yeah, actually, uh, because of what had happened has happened with the uh, pandemic, I've now uh, put the course online as well. So we have in-person workshops, but also now we have it online as well. You know, and I got to tell you, Dick, that I kicked and screamed doing online stuff because people have been asking me for years. I'm like, no, I, I want to do the personal touch. I like the, the, the being in the same room, having that connection. And of course, that was taken away from us. But I thought, you know, part of this whole process of, um, of what we're going through is how to adapt. And so um, I thought, I've got to learn to adapt. You know, I'm... <laughs> I'm a dinosaur when it comes to technology, but I'm learning. So I put all my um, modules uh, online, pre-recorded modules, and put this workshop together. And of course, we do the Zoom thing too. Um, and some people have said this is um, it starts next next month. Actually, yeah, we're in, we're not in May yet, so it starts next month. Uh, but people have said I like the fact that I can go back to these. We, I did a little um, shakedown cruise uh, last year, and they said I like the fact I can go back and revisit the content because. Right. Um, it's 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 fathoms deep mm -hmm. wonderful yeah. you also are a accomplished photographer you you've uh, been all over the world taking fantastic photos and uh, yeah i've been pretty lucky um yeah i uh i like to travel i like to do photography you know it's kind of funny i take a look at some of my hobbies and they all seem to be um <laughs> you're by yourself you know swimming <laughs> by yourself <laughs> photography you're by yourself um so this wallflower thing from my past still, still is in my present but i um you know uh, a number of years ago i went camping this is in new york state and some guy did a slideshow out in nature with some beautiful music like from what we had talked about with the, the cd and I thought, wow, I'd like to do this. So I took a photography thing. I can do my own version of this. And mm -hmm. I would do an annual uh, nature relaxation slideshow to my students. And then that kind of morphed into a video. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people who um, had contacted me for my, my work said, I've got cancer. Do you have something that can help me relax? And so this Ursong's video that I made, and now I've come out with a sequel to it, um, is really about the healing power of nature. And for me, Earth, as a kid, let's, it was let's make it clear. It's Earth Songs. They can check out Earth Songs uh, as a yeah. yeah, great. Yeah, I saw your first one. I don't know that I've seen the second one. And uh, uh, Michael York had some role in one of those. Is that right? He sure did. You know, so um, so I I wanted Robert Redford. Of course, you know, my my dream list was pretty big, and that he I got back the nicest rejection letter from Robert Redford. Uh, but I licensed music from this guy named Michael Hoppe, H-O-P-P-E, and I, uh, he does beautiful stuff and uh, beautiful music. And so I, I sent him an email, and I was kind of heartbroken when I got rejected by Redford. So I said, um, I'm doing this project, as you know. Do you know anybody who might want to do the voiceover? And he wrote back immediately. I think it was Christmas Eve. He wrote back immediately. He said, I do. He goes, I have the perfect person. His name is Michael York, beautiful British accent. Maybe you know him. And I'm like, oh, my God. I can't afford this. My first thought was, wow, but I thought I can't afford this. I didn't know how I was going to afford Redford either, but I really thought I can't, sure I can't afford Michael York. Well, the long and short of it is we've become friends and he said, yes. Um, and here's pretty cool how we became friends. I'm going to go dip back into, uh, into uh, Carl Jung. Michael York, uh, I picked him up at the airport and brought him back to the house. He stayed at my house for a couple of nights uh, on the ride back to the airport. I said, um, you know, I know that you did the voiceover for Carl Jung's book, Memories, Dreams, Reflections. And he said, yes, it's a, a brilliant book. And he says, I'm a very big fan of Carl Jung. 
And I said, did you know that a lot of what he put in there um, was edited out before it actually got published? Uh, he actually wrote about reincarnation. And um, I forget the guy now who wrote this book uh, about that, but he actually went to Carl Jung's house, talked to his uh, children and grandchildren, and took a look at the original manuscript of Memories, Dreams, Reflections and saw what had been crossed out. And his editor at the time said, Carl, you can't talk about reincarnation. People think you're, you're senile. Mm -hmm. So it got axed out of that book. But it's, it's very much in the original manuscript, which is still, I think, you know, available. So I told that to Michael, and Michael said, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> and because of that conversation, we bonded like brothers, and we've been best friends ever since. And so, um, so in fact, then Michael comes down the next morning to breakfast and says to me, um, I got something I want you to read. And I said, sure, what is it? And he said, well, I'm... I'm working with Jane Goodall on this project. And he said, um, uh, we need someone to help produce it. He goes, would you be interested? And I said, well, I said, sure, I suppose so. I said, you know, I'm not really a producer like this. He said, he goes, well, here's the script. And I said, Michael, I don't have time to read that before I take you to the airport today. He goes, oh no, I made you a copy. And I had two thoughts. One is this is premeditated because he actually came prepared. And two, he's serious about this. So the long and short of it is um, we've had a lot of great projects together um, and uh, he's a beautiful soul who's very much into all of this. You know, you may think of him as just another actor who does, uh, you know, Three Musketeers or Cabaret or Austin Powers, but he's a very savvy guy. Mm. Glad to hear that. Yeah. Lots of stories that I'm sure would fascinate us and, and, and inspire us. To me, yeah. that's inspiring. Yeah, me too. Me too. I feel very blessed. Uh, you also don't get to do your touring in Italy or Ireland this year. Is that right? Yeah. Well, we only had Ireland planned this year. Um, uh, Italy was every other year. I think that actually may, may kind of phased out, but we had to postpone Ireland this year, which is really kind of sad. So Ireland is a, a mystical, magical tour, if I could borrow some words from the Beatles. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, Ireland, going back to the spiritual side of things, Ireland, it's a beautiful country. It's very photogenic, and I love going there for that reason alone. But there's so much more than the beauty of the landscape. Um, there's this whole concept called the unseen world. And, of course, it got Hollywoodized with, with leprechauns and fairies and things. But if you were to gain the confidence of the people in Ireland, and it takes years to do this, they just don't welcome you with open arms and say, let's talk about leprechauns. Um, you would find out that uh, there is what they call the unseen world. There's, and we would call it the spirit world. And uh, so we go to sacred sites and we do what I call ceremonies there. And uh, what we do is we sing songs. I read some poetry from um, John O'Donohue or uh, Seamus Healy, uh, some of the great poets of, of Ireland. Um, uh, and so then we, we uh, do some meditations. Now, all of these sacred sites uh, are portals to the what we call to the unseen world. And they may look like stone circles that are of uh, uh, celestial means to navigate the, the solstice and the equinox, but there's also a bigger realm going on there. And so um, I, I'll never forget when we were in this one stone church that was 1400 years old on, uh, on uh, summer solstice and it was cloudy. We got there about 10 o'clock at nighttime 
and we sang a couple of songs. We were inside this church, which didn't fit more than 20 people. It's down the Dingle Peninsula. And we sang the song, Here Comes the Sun, which is what we typically do on summer solstice. And the clouds broke, the sunlight came in the door, lit up the whole room, and our tour guide says to me, something magical is afoot. And he said that three or four times. And what I realized was that the people of Ireland, they use the word magical as we use the word spiritual. When things can't be explained, it means that there's um, a connection to the unseen world. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I love that about the Irish. Um, I don't claim to understand it all, but I, I definitely can appreciate it. So, so this year's tour is put on hold. We, we're going to go next year, and we're going to go to County Donegal. My uh, roots are—I have roots in uh, the Irish tradition. My ancestors come from Ireland. Oh. And, uh, it's a beautiful place. And I got to tell you one more story about music. Do we got time for this? Um, so, music is a big part of of our tours, as it's a big part of Ireland. You know, and the British. Um, they took away the language, they took away their land, they tried to take away their religion, they took away all kinds of stuff. But the one thing the British couldn't take away was the music. Mm. And, and the, everything west of Shannon, which is what they say is real Ireland, um, is where you hear the traditional music in its most um, organic form. And we had a guy named PJ Curtis who gave us a, a lecture on Irish music. Do you know I was PJ? just going to ask you if you ran into PJ Curtis <laughs> and, and the lightning tree. Oh my God, he's a dear friend. He's, he's a beautiful soul, let me tell you. So, um, so he gives us a lecture on Irish music and how Irish music has influenced American music. And did you know, I didn't know this, that a lot of our songs that we take for granted are actually old Irish tunes. Um, the song Love Me Tender by Elvis was an old Irish tune. Right. The Yellow Rose of Texas, an old Irish tune that got reworded. Um, the Streets of Laredo, an old Irish tune. He goes on and on and on about this. But he said that when he was a little boy, now back when he was a little boy, a lot of Ireland did not have electricity. He's about, what, 67 or so? So when he was five years old, he was telling the story that in his house, um, a lot of floors back then were slate. And they would clear the, the floor out and bring people in to do uh, music and dancing on Saturdays. And he was a little boy and he would hide behind in a corner. And he said that when he watched people dancing with their, their, the, the metal uh, part of the shoes would strike the slate and there would be sparks flying <laughs> off of the shoes. He said, this is a, a little kid. You think you're like, oh my God, it's incredible. So then he said to us, um, he is convinced now that when people sat and played fiddle and baudron and guitar and stuff, they were actually channeling the energies of the earth up through their feet, up through their bodies, into the instruments, out to the cosmos. Mm -hmm. Isn't that beautiful? Beautiful, yeah. Well, we met PJ on our uh, tour of Ireland with Jerry and Denise Dignan from Chicago, were our tour leaders. And... Stoney, uh, who I think you also have worked with, Stoney, uh, the tour guide guy, uh -huh. um, was with our group. And uh, so we got to, to, we bought the book, The Lightning Tree. Uh -huh. And uh, that whole window into the being able to see into the other world mm -hmm. uh, that his uh, relative that he writes about in the book was it was just very powerful i mean it, it's like you said once you've experienced it nobody can take it away from you right and um once somebody tells their experience 
it's almost like, well, I have to deal with that now in a way. I mean, I, uh, what do I do with that? You know, it's there. Uh, maybe I haven't seen it. Maybe I have and didn't recognize it. Yeah. So I just wanted to connect there with uh, the lightning tree, uh, a, an amazing book and uh, a great, a great guy, PJ Curtis. Yeah. He comes from a, a family of healers, energy healers. Uh -huh. And uh, he said to me, he goes, uh, it stopped with me. I don't do energy healing. And I said, oh, I think you do. Just a different style of it. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. Yeah, I'm not remembering uh, the relative's name, the woman it, that is the main person in the book, The Lightning Tree. But, I can't uh, either. Yeah, it's been a while since I read that book, yeah. Yeah, my wife loved that book so much. She wrote a a 20 verse song <laughs> trying to oh, get wow. the story in, in a song. Oh, wow. Uh, anyway. Uh, so Italy, you've been to the Northern part of Italy with tours. Uh, is that yeah. different? I mean, that's gotta be a lot different than Ireland. Yeah. Ireland, to me, Ireland's about the, um, the, the landscape and the music. It's not about the food, Italy. It's about the food. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Italy, of course, has got all these churches and cathedrals, and so does Ireland. That, that's very similar, both Catholic countries. Um, but there's a real reverence um, and a spirituality about the food preparation in Italy that uh, is not in Ireland. I mean, Ireland's got good food now because as they joined the EU, a lot of people from Poland and Russia came, took jobs as cooks, and began to teach the Irish how to cook. Uh, hmm. So we have more than just fish and chips over there now. But, but Italy, oh my God, you know, it's like a, a 10 course meal. And I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's great. So, so yeah, very different. Um, when the tour that I did to Italy was more about self-care, the tour for Ireland was more about healing the world. Because we worked with the ley lines in Ireland. Oh, I got to wow. tell you, it's, I'm sure there are ley lines in Italy. I have no doubt about that. But I, um, you know, I went to Skellig Michael when I was in Ireland and which is one of the beginnings of one of the ley lines, the Michael ley line that goes down to Jerusalem. And Skellig Michael, uh, for those who have ever seen Star Wars, the new Star Wars, they actually filmed some of the, the scenes there where Luke Skywalker is off on this island by himself and, and mm -hmm. stuff. So there's like these bee, beehive huts. And one of the huts uh, that they, they tried to build like 1,400 years ago, there's no top to it. And so you see hut, 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 empty, topless hut, hut. And so it looks kind of obvious. And so I said to the tour guide, what happened here? Did did it fall down and break? And she goes, oh, no. She goes, the, this is where the ley line starts. She goes, the energy is so powerful, the roof won't stay on. And they never tried to fix it. And this is a woman who I would tell you right now probably doesn't understand ley lines, but she knew enough to know that they exist and that this is part of that process. <laughs> is that that island uh, southwest? Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. We, we, it was pointed out to us, but we didn't get to visit or anything. Yeah. It's hard to get there now because everyone who wants to go there wants to meet Luke Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> well, Luke, uh, how are you talking to people uh, in ways of, uh, that ask you how to take care of themselves during this, this uh, period we're going through? Uh, do you, offer advice or do you, I know your line moving fear to love. Uh, how do you, how do you love the virus? Well, 
let me go back a page in the conversation here. Uh, I have been asked by a lot of people to, um, to share some thoughts and stuff. Of course, there's a lot of stress going on right now. So I came up with um, a seven uh, stage protocol for how to, to adapt. Because the big thing we got to do right now is adapt to what's going on. Good. We've lost a lot of our freedoms. We've, um, we're going through all kinds of changes right now. And by and large, people don't like change. That's supposed to change they can't control. So my expression is we need to stay above the fray. And there's a lot of, of, um, a lot of stress, a lot of fear, a lot of anger going on right now. We can see it in the news. We can see it in um, politics. I won't go there, but you get the idea. Um, mm -hmm. So real quickly, um, the seven stages are first um, to acknowledge that we've got some grieving going on. So I call this, we need to do some healthy grieving. And that's with the death of expectations. Like, you know, you thought you were going to go see a concert this summer. That's not going to happen. You thought you might see the Olympics. It's not going to happen. So much has been canceled. We have to reschedule. But we need to grieve and to do it healthily. And there's a lot of Kuba Ross going on here, too. But the next stage is to accept things. You know, okay, so we got a virus. We got, we got lockdown. Um, we need to accept it and move on. How can we move on with this? And uh, right now, like, for example, we um, went out and started working in the backyard to get our garden ready for the hummingbirds. That was part of the movie mom process. The third thing I mentioned is staying grounded. And I mention this because it's very easy to get knocked off your feet with the winds of change. And we've probably got more change coming we don't even know about yet. But, um, but staying grounded means to practice some meditation time, to, um, to eat healthy, uh, maybe to do some yoga, maybe some Tai Chi, but things that basically keep you grounded, not knocked off your feet. And there are a lot of people out there with a lot of, of um, theories about what's going on um, who knows where truth lies but but if you get so caught up in that you get um uh weighted up in your head that you're off balance stay grounded number four says to access our resources and uh you know whether it's um uh, the food we have in the house whether it's the money that we have tucked away someplace because everyone's uh, financial situation has been changed whether it's people um, whether it's a fact that we can actually get to the mountains. But one of my resources right now is a park that, that is not very far from my house. I go out for morning walks. Um, and then to create some good strategies uh, in terms of, of good eating habits, good meditation habits, good um, when do you go to the store habits. I mean, right now, I know don't go on Saturdays because the Whole Foods is a line to get inside, that kind of thing. Um, and then to evaluate your strategies, evaluate your progress. That's number six. And then last but not least, to celebrate your success. Um, celebrate the small successes. The fact that, you know, tonight we're going to make quiche. We haven't made quiche in a couple of years. That's going to be a new adventure. And to see things as a, a wonderful adventure. So, so that's what I share um, uh, and with some specifics. And yes, um, ultimately we want to do a mindset from fear to love and compassion, I should add. Um, but we got to actually do some of the, you know, chop wood, carry water work too. I think I accessed that article from your Facebook page and reposted it on my page. Um, how can people, is there a way for people to find that uh, just uh, through the, through the internet? Yeah, that article actually, um, in fact, you know, they may be looking for more people like yourself to write articles too. Um, Celia Coates is the editor for the, 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 
the WIN journal, and WIN stands for what is needed now. So she approached me a couple of years ago to write an article, and, um, and we really hit it off, and, mm -hmm. and she only wants a thousand words because she said people don't have attention spans much beyond that, although that I think, article was a little bit longer. And so um, if I have an idea for an article, I'll send it to her, and she'll say, yeah, let's, let's do this. So um, part of that article, I think, was about raising vibrations. Mm. And the idea of um, low vibrations, anger, fear, high vibrations, love and compassion, how to kind of shift in that direction. So I sent it off to her and she said, great idea, let's do this. <laughs> and um, so people could find that by, um, by I guess, typing my name and then the capital letters W-I-N-N. Um, also, if you want, you can friend me on Facebook. You can probably see it there too. I get requested by people to repost that. So it kind of mm -hmm. be making more appearances there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and by the way, I'll send you her contact so that if you want to write an article, I think she 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 likes articles on consciousness. Oh, cool! Yeah. Well, I am a pod of consciousness. I'd love to write. You are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, for people that uh, may have tuned in later than our beginning, I, I'm talking to Brian Luke Seward. That's S E A W A R D, and uh, if you want to. Google Brian uh, or Luke, as we call him. Um, what are they going to find when they Google you? I mean, after after the twenty fifth hit, you know, uh, you know, they're going to find your books. They're going to find your this, your that. Uh, you have your own web page, I guess. Uh, they I do. Yeah, BrianLukeSeward.net. That's probably hopefully that comes up first. So it's a dot net, okay? Yeah, dot net, um, and in there you can see um, my my calendar of events, which right now is pretty much scratched. Um, yeah. I have some articles there. I have, um, uh, uh, I, I think I put in some videos too, um, mm -hmm. and I have, uh, of course, books available, that kind of thing. Um, I have a book on Ireland, which uh, I'll send you a copy oh, of that book. I didn't I, know. Wow. I did a photography book on Ireland. By the way, I got sent you this article too. Maybe we can figure out how to put that with this um, this here, but. Um, I, uh, I was in Ireland last November, and I met a guy named Pat Noon who has a fairy, fairy farm. And, of course, the unseen world is big with him, so I wanted to go check it out. And um, so I wrote about my experiences of the unseen world. And then after that, I went up to Donegal. And um, have you heard of the group called Alton? No. They're an Irish, uh, traditional Irish group. And Mairead Mooney is the lead singer and player there, the fiddle player. So Mairead and I were talking and voluntarily, I did not ask or solicit this. She goes right into the unseen world. Uh, we, we're very good friends. So we, uh, I think we had that bond. And I thought, okay, this is, so I sit down the plane going home and this voice in my ear says, write another article. And there's a, 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 a newsletter magazine every month here called The Celtic Connection that I do the January article for. And it's about, I write about the, the cottages of Ireland, the castles of Ireland, the stones of Ireland. And so this uh, is on the unseen world. And this is not in the book, but I'll send you a link to that one as well, because the book came out before this was published. But I decided to take all of these articles and my photography and do a photography book on Ireland. So that's what that is. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. You, you are the man of projects. <laughs> well, I, I like to be creative. Uh, yeah. <laughs> in different ways. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have uh, another one in the works that you could tell us about? Well, for someone who doesn't know a thing about computers, I'm doing a relaxation app. So I have a photograph a day, a quote of the day. I have um, some uh, videos, I think like one per day of the, of the month. Then I'll have 365. 
and I'm doing some podcasts for some guided meditation. So when that all gets said and done, that'll be a app for relaxation. That's what I'm kind of working on right now. Do you do your own cooking? Um, I share with my wife. My wife and I both do cooking. Ah, and you once had a picture of a beautiful dog in one of your uh, postings. Uh, is your dog still with you? No, he passed away last year, sadly. Oh, okay. I had him for quite a long time. Huskies mm -hmm. don't live too long, but he went the full 14 years. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, beautiful, beautiful soul. Um, very, very wise soul, I'll say. Uh, I think there was more going on than meets the eye with that guy. Yeah, so um, we're in between dogs, as we say now. Um, I think we'll wait till this all thing's over. This is kind of not a good time to uh, begin that process. But um, we like to adopt dogs and I like huskies. I've had three huskies, so uh, I'll probably go with a husky sometime. Well, cool. Any final words for our listening audience? Uh, well, uh, other than the fact that we're in very um, uh, fascinating, interesting times right now, um, I tend to uh, put my antenna up to see what's going on out there and I call it cosmic gossip. And a few people have said to me, would you kind of like synthesize and kind of distill what you come across? So I'm looking to see if I can possibly do something like that uh, mm -hmm. soon. But, um, but I'm going to reiterate what um, the words of Joseph Campbell, that we've got a few more bumps in the road, but I think I know how the story ends. We're, we're going to be fine. <laughs> the problem I have with that statement is that the story ends. Well, that's true. But, you know, the hero's journey, when it's really it's, just a chapter. The, the next it's story is cyclical. Wow. Right, yeah. right, right. Okay. Well, I'm glad we put that, uh, that there, that the, the journey just starts over again and we go through another spiral. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Spiral dynamics. Spiral dynamics. There we go. That's uh, Don Beck. Don Beck, yeah. yeah. Don Beck, and I'll throw a little Ken Wilbur in there, too. Oh, my God. Right. Well, we uh, didn't cover all the bases, but a lot of them. We did. Been a pleasure. Been a pleasure. Great to see you. Hey, Dick, thanks for being a bright light in the planet. Thanks for the work you do to spread light and love. And I'm just honored to be part of this. And uh, let's do it again sometime. Will do. My pleasure. I love it. And I love you. Good to see you. You too. Thanks, Dick. All right. Take care. See ya. Bye. Bye. And I, to my listening audience, uh, remember, wherever you are, that is your world. Please leave your world cleaner, more peaceful, and more loving than you found it, because if it is to be, it is up to us. Take care. Talk to you soon.